1: One all right, everybody. Well, welcome to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak brand camo in the Gamekeeper Studio. The Gamekeeper Studio. Yeah, so this is going to be this podcast, Lanny, is going to be a little different. I'd say so. Yeah. Um, well, A. Dudley's not here, but that's not yeah. all that different. He's no, gone. For we're used to being
0: kind so, of out in outer space
1: sometimes. So we got Mac setting in to help with uh, <coughs> some of Dudley's comments. We've also got Mister. Bill Gibson. Sitting in with us, and usually he's here in and talking about dogs. Yep,
0: but every time. That, that's right. right. He's gonna yeah. talk about dogs at some point today. Yeah, I yeah, bet he probably will. <laughs> so
1: today's show's a little bit more serious. we yeah, uh, it's
0: real serious, if I would say some of the most serious things I've heard uh, in in the outdoors, especially in in a duck blind.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we want to be careful. We want to be very respectful mm-hmm. to the families that have been involved in this, and the communities, and. Uh, so what we're going to talk, we're going to have uh, Natalie Kreb from Outdoor Life. Is we're, we're going to talk to her about the, uh, I guess the only way I know to put it, is the, the murders real? that uh, recently happened at Real Foot Lake of yeah. the duck hunters. Yeah.
0: That was in January of this year, wasn't it?
1: That, that's right. Just a few months ago. And so some, some uh, she's, uh, she's Real a, tragedy. A, yeah, no it, it really was. That. And she has interviewed a lot of the people involved in that and- and I think there's been some, some, and now that's kind of been so, sort of put to rest.
0: Right, is she,
1: she's with Outdoor Life. She is. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she knows, and she's got a great article on OutdoorLife.com dot com that you guys can read about and uh, and learn more about this. But you know, when this thing first happened, we assumed that they were arguing over a duck blind.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've I've had some arguments over some public ground before, so that's exactly where my mind went. Yeah. But it seems a little two. bit deeper than that, you know. Definitely a little bit deeper than that.
1: Yeah. So we've got uh, Mr. Bill Gibson in here. A lot of people may not know this, but he's uh, in the past uh, life. He was a, a, a police chief here in West Point, Mississippi. He was also he's also a retired FBI agent.
0: He is the man as far as law enforcement enforcement's concerned. Yeah, I mean he's he's put handcuffs on people. Yeah, just ask that guy to try to wrote, try to write us a bad check that time. What happened to him? <laughs> <laughs> he got to spend a little, he little got time. Him, yeah, he didn't know we should feel more about it. than He did. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, yeah. I look at him smile over there. Oh, he, loves it. <laughs> look, he even, loves it. Even Goose like, yeah, yeah, that, he did. Right?
1: <laughs> Oh man! Well, so you know this uh, guys, we just thought everybody would would uh ought to hear this story and and kind of keep because you know you hate
0: I think it's good what you help people clear the air because there's a lot of assumptions that go on you know about when you hear just fragments and pieces of a story I know I didn't know the details of it uh, until you told me you know that we were gonna have the privilege of talking to her uh, and what it was about so you know even digging in my mind starts spinning about you know really really what what was going on and you you know once you Digging into this story a little more, um, you know, you you just kind of become more aware that about mental illness and things that are going on out there. So
1: that's right, <clears throat> that's right. So I think today we're not going to do a blood on the biologic. We're 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 just going to let's just uh, not even do a commercial, Mac. So you can hold your breath there. And and why don't we uh, why don't we call Natalie? Okay. So when we come back, we'll have Natalie Kreb of Outdoor Life, and we'll get into this story. <laughs> Is ringing hello hello natalie hey bobby how are you i'm doing well it's uh look we're glad to have you uh, on the line with me here is uh lanny wallace hey natalie thank you for being here today hey. yeah. yeah thanks um, we've got mac thatcher Hey Natalie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now he's, he's dangerous now. You need to watch out for him. And then we've got Mr. Bill Gibson over here, who uh, we're just we're excited to have him in here to have his input. Uh, as I was telling you, Mr. Bill is a retired FBI agent and police chief,
0: so he yeah. understands all of the, that went into this. And our director of gun dog operations, I might add, and a quite funny. That's my latest That's line of title. That's the latest That's right. <laughs> so,
1: Natalie, I've been introducing you prior to getting you on the phone. I was telling everybody that you've been at, uh, at Outdoor Life for about seven or eight years, and I think currently you're the uh, senior deputy editor. And uh, we're, we're just all real impressed. We all, everybody here in this room is a big fan of Outdoor Life. Absolutely. It's probably the first magazine I remember reading.
0: That's the first magazine I ever subscribed to. I know that. Yeah, it's.
2: Um, I've been there for... Seven years, uh, but we've been around way longer than that. I think we've been around since 1898.
0: So That's when Bobby picked up his first issue. Right?
2: <laughs> Somewhere
0: around there. Yeah. Hey, Natalie, you don't need to laugh at that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. So, Natalie, you uh, w- we've all read the article. It's a, There's an article at...
0: Excellent article, by the way. Yeah,
1: outdoorlife.com about this uh, the incident at Real Foot. You did a fantastic job with that, and we we appreciate you coming on. Can you just kind of tell the process about how you found out about this story and then how it led you to investigate it and learn more and just kind of what you know?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll just start with how I found out about it, which is how I think a lot of hunters found out about it, was um, just like – short news clips that ended up on waterfowl forums, on Facebook, on social media, um, with very limited information. Um, the incident happened on January 25th of this year. Um, so folks found out about it the day that it happened. Um, and I I heard about it from my coworker, Joe Gensel. Um, he used to work for Wildfowl and he just is really tapped into the waterfowl world. Um, and really all we knew was that um, two duck hunters had been shot and killed. Um, we didn't know why. We didn't know anything really surrounding it. And um, the, the information that law enforcement put out was very limited. And understandably so. I mean, they were searching for the suspect, and they, they didn't put out very many details. But that was initially what I found out, and I tried to report just the, just the facts that uh, law enforcement could confirm.
1: You know, we we heard about it on uh, through. I can remember that day. Facebook, a, a friend of mine posted. I hope what I'm hearing out of real foot is not true. Mm-hmm. If, if so, it's a sad day. And and so the you know the Natalie. The first thing we heard was that these guys that there was some kind of an incident, and it was uh, you know um a, 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 a like a an argument over who's blind. It was or we we didn't know for sure, but we we were just told that it was an argument and that. You know, as duck hunters, we're just scratching our head because we hear about stuff like this happening all the time, but it never elevates to this level.
0: No, there's words exchanged often, you know, in especially in public duck hunting or maybe a friendly hand gesture or a wave or some stuff like that. <laughs> but you never hear it going to this level. And that's for sure. Right.
2: It's You know, it's almost unheard of like that's why i think it was everybody talking about it and you know some local media outlets reported that there was an argument like there was just misinformation out there so some of it was was spreading rumors and you know some of it is just what people had to go on that was what people thought and that's what people talked about and um really the story shifted um i would say you know it was a day or two later um when folks found out that there was actually a witness to the shooting um, and his firsthand account was nowhere in the media. Uh, it was relayed secondhand by the district attorney in, um in Obion County. And that, you know, he came forward with that story in an attempt to kind of clear up the rumors and say, Hey, this, this witness is a hero. He saved his buddies. He got him back to help. Um, and well, he, you know, he tried, he tried to get them back to help. Um, and what that ultimately appeared to do was just confuse more people um, because they thought that this survivor's account sounded fishy. Um, so that was kind of at the point where I, you know, back to your original question, um, I wanted to talk to the witness. You know, I wanted to go straight to the source of the person and the hunter who dealt with this and, and figure out what he had to say. Um, so I was able to get in contact with somebody who knew him. Um, you know, I, I've watched a a podcast that was called Back to the Lodge and these guys were hunters who had helped clean out the blind after it was released at the crime scene. And, um, you know, they appreciated the coverage that Outdoor Life had done so far, which was just a few short news briefs. Um, and they, they want, they wanted to put me in touch with the witness, Jeff Crabtree, so he could he could tell his true story and and get it out there into the world for Doug to hear.
1: Well, he's got quite a story to tell it. uh, You know, in reading your article, it it was, uh, from his point of view, I think he's 56 years old. The, the man you're referring to is Jeff Crabtree. He'd been a duck hunter for a long time, was a, works on a farm that enables him to basically duck hunt whenever he wanted to so the, throughout the season. One of those jobs we all wish we had where we could duck hunt every day. <laughs> I can understand that. So, uh, Natalie, can you, can you kind of tell the story of, uh, as, you, as you understand it, what, what happened that day?
2: Sure. Um, I'll give you a sort of a, a quick summary, because one thing that I'm I'm also uh, trying to be careful that I don't do is is do what happened to them in the first place, which is, you know, I know every detail of the story, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard to tell if you haven't been there. But um, I guess the short version, and, and you can ask me questions um, as I go, but is that he was hunting with two of his buddies on Realfoot. foot. Um, and for any listeners who aren't familiar with Realfoot, it's it's, um, you know, it's a really shallow lake and it's got a long history of waterfowling. Um, it's right in the Mississippi flyway. And there are more than 300 permanent lines on that lake. Uh, most of them are privately owned, but some of them are public. Um, you know, and they're not like your regular pit blinds. They're, they're big scrap wood structures. A lot of them have covered boat houses. You pull into the blind and you get out and, you know, you've got a whole row of shooting holes. And so Jeff Crabtree was hunting there on, um, the last Monday of duck season with two of his buddies, uh, Zach Grooms, who is 25 and Chance black. who was 26. And, um, you know, it was just the three of them. It was a Monday. It was stormy. And, um, you know, they shot some ducks and about mid morning, um, they were approached by a strange hunter in a boat. And, um, this is the part where, where the witness is not entirely clear on all of the, the conversations that happened. Um, he, he had on like a Cabela's waterproof hat with dog ears on it and its hood pulled up. Um, but essentially, Chance Black went over to like the far end of the blind to talk to this guy in the boat who pulled up. And um, you know, Chance talked to him and came back and said, Hey, this guy wants to get in the blind and hunt with us. Um, so Zach Grooms, who, um it was his boat in the boathouse and he you know, he's one of the core members of this blind, him and Jeff Crabtree. And Chance was like a buddy who joined him for the week or for the day, excuse me. Um so Zach went out into the boathouse um to go talk to this guy who had pulled up to their blind. Um, and the only thing that Crabtree really overheard was Zach saying something like, can I help you? And and that was it. He didn't hear anything for a few minutes. It's raining. It's quiet. He and Chance aren't talking. And um, the, the next thing he really hears is it sounds like somebody's climbing up into the blind. Um, and he, he peeks into the back of the blind and, There's a row of rubber curtains that separates the shooting holes from the back of the blind, where the kitchen is. Um, You know, they have lights, but they're not on, and it's dark back there. And he peeks behind the curtains, and he he just sees this stranger standing at the entrance, and it's a low ceiling, so he's kind of got his, he's hunched over. And to Crabtree, it appears as if he's loading his gun. Um, Later, he would decide that, you know, he, he hadn't heard any noise of the action or anything like that. And he thought that maybe he was checking and make sure it was loaded. But, you know, his crafters at the point to say, hey, like, don't load your gun back there. You got to get up in your shooting hole first. And this stranger pivots slowly and kind of turns back out into the boathouse. And his gun goes off. Um, and at that point, Crabtree just, he thought the gun had gone off accidentally. Um, And he shouted out, he shouted to Chance um, that this guy had shot Zach um, because he hears hears a splash in the boathouse. So Chance runs out there. Uh, Crabtree runs second. You know, he's a little farther away from the door. And as he passes this guy, you know, he yells at him and he jerks the gun out of his hand. And, you know, he asks him, who in the hell are you? And this man replied, um, David Bell and identified himself. And Crabtree asked what in the hell he was doing. And the man said, I don't know. Um, So at that point, Crabtree is just thinking that he needs to get to his friend and to help him. Um, He shoves Val to the floor, gets out in the boathouse, and um, he tries to pull Zach out of the water with chance. And they just, they're not having any luck. Zach is, you know, he's over 200 pounds, he's six foot three, he's a big guy, and he's in the water, and he's not moving, and it's hard to get him over the gunnel and into the boat. Um, So at that point, Crabtree kind of jerks up, he realizes um, that this guy in the blind needs to be held accountable for shooting his buddy. So he goes back into the blind, and he just, he grabs Val, who's kind of getting himself stood up, and he throws him in the boat. He goes back to help Chance. They pull Zach into the boat, um, and he he heads for shore. Um, He had to, Zell's boat was tied up, kind of by their boathouse entrance, so he had to untie that, um, kind of bumps it a little bit on the way out, and had to get help. But he's having boat trouble. There's water in the boat. He can't get the boat on plane. And, you know, they're maybe a minute away from the blind, and and he's fighting with the motor, and he sees a shotgun in the bottom of their own boat. Um, This is their own shotgun. It's the one they use to shoot crippled ducks when they're going out to retrieve birds. And he sees it and he has time to yell maybe two or three times he thinks a chance um, to get the shotgun and make sure it's unloaded. Um, Crabtree usually hunted in the blind and had all the young guys go out and get ducks. And so he didn't know if it was loaded or not. Um, And chance is up on the bow you know, trying to even out the boat. So he's up there, he's having a hard time hearing Crabtree, and at this point Val gets the shotgun in his hand, and he you know, he starts to raise the gun and chance either sees or hears something, and he turns, and he starts to push the barrel out of the way, and he's just not fast enough. And um, mm. he Val shot him in the ribs, um, and then he he turned around toward Crabtree, who at this point realizes that, you know, that first shot was not an accident. Um, he says that, you know, he, he knew Val was there to kill them. And he just gets his hands on the gun barrel and disarms him again, jerks it out of his hand. And um, instead of, you know, shooting him or whatever, he, he just takes the gun down on top of the man's head. Um and it didn't knock Val out, but it kinda knocked him back. Um, Crabtree threw the gun aside, picked up Val and just drove him out of my boat. Um and as I said, real foot is shallow, so he didn't, you know, he didn't go under or anything, but he was maybe about thigh deep in the water. He was still conscious and Crabtree just continued on his way to go get help at the put in. And um the last time he saw Val, he was just trying to get himself stood up. Um, you know, he's a few feet away from a bank, but it was, it was in a pretty remote part of the lake.
1: How old was David Val? He was seven years old. Well, boy, th- this is kind of hard to listen to because uh, you know the first thing I'm kind of struck with is how large this blind is. Because you know we're used to sitting kind of elbow to elbow and and our little blinds that we mm-hmm. hunt out of, and, <clears throat> but this thing was huge. It's a big blind, more like a small cowhouse.
0: Yeah, 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 it's a huge tradition up there. Even the calls they use, you know, have a little bit different sound and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's
1: true. Yeah, but yeah, I'm with you,
0: Bobby. I'm rarely at a loss for words, but I'm just completely caught up in what Natalie's saying and just trying to put myself in, you know, Crabtree's position. And you know, like, you know, it's how a, do you react? What a how trauma. do you know? What the tr- What's what's really going on?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's easy for us to second guess and
0: and. S- think of what... Say, this is what I would have done. Yes,
1: but well, there's so much going...
0: that, that and, is and happening. It, and apparently, and Natalie, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, it, it was raining. You know, wasn't it... Was it raining and cloudy that day?
2: Yeah, it was... I mean, it was pretty stormy. It was bad enough that a lot of people didn't go hunting, and it, it complicated, um, you know, search efforts later from yeah. authorities. It, and, it was cloud. It was
0: and I've been in a boat running in the rain. Mac, you have to... You know, it is hard to to hear and, and hard mm-hmm. to figure out what's going on. Hard especially, to see. Hard to hard see to everything, especially with stuff going on like yeah. that. I can imagine how chaotic it was.
3: Yeah. One thing that, that impressed me about what was said in the article was that they interviewed Crabtree at least on three different occasions and every time his story never changed. Mm-hmm. And from a law enforcement perspective, uh, you know, there's only one truth out there. But there's a thousand lies. If you tell a lie, you can't repeat that lie over and over and over again and tell the same story. But if you tell the truth, then you can tell it over and over and over again, and you end up in the same place every Good. time. Yeah. So, you know, being a sole survivor, that's the story of what happened.
0: And it's interesting to me, too, that he didn't, I mean, uh, he didn't shoot the guy, you know? It really is. He threw him out of the boat. So, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Well,
3: it's just that uh, things were happening pretty quick. Yeah. People are injured. Well, at least one guy's injured. Got yeah. to get him out of there. And you may not think the same way that you think right. after you get out of that situation or not being in that situation.
0: Yeah, I guess to me it's saying that he's not, you know, he didn't, obviously, you know, he had nothing to do with it. He wasn't trying to take life. He was trying to get help is what he was trying mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, hmm Yeah. Yeah. And
2: so, that's what he mentioned, too, was it just, you know, it takes a little bit to tell the story, but everything just happened so yeah. fast, and that at the time, you know, he didn't he didn't think about certain things. But you know, he's sitting there for the day or two after everything happened, just playing everything over and then starting to to dissect it a little bit.
0: So we pick up where where yeah now, yeah. Right? yeah let's just
2: yeah. So it took you know normally that boat ride from their blinds to um the boat ramp that they use, the walnut log ditch on the north end of the lake, um, takes about ten minutes when you're not having boat trouble. Um, it, it took him much longer than that. And by the time he finally got back to the boat ramp, um, you know, he didn't see any hunters. There was nobody moving around on the ramp. Like he he couldn't find anybody there to help him. Um and there's no cell service in that area. And even if there happened, he he left his phone in a shooting hole. Um, along with his truck keys, a shotgun. Um, so he overshoots the parking lot and he goes maybe about, it's a, it's a little less than a quarter mile past the ramp to the first house along, um, that waterways called the Bayou de Chain. And, you know, he pulls the boat up on the shore and runs across the street, bangs on the door, and the woman who was there ends up calling 911 for him. Um, and it takes authorities about 15 minutes. They get, they estimated to arrive at the scene. Um, but even when they get there, um, they're not, they're not equipped to in, investigate on the lake. Um, they, they have to coordinate with the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. They have to call in the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, um, and really coordinate a response to, to get some boats. Um, you know, TWRA provided boats and the game board to do the lake. Um, took a lot of folks out. So, By the time they get on the lake, they they have to clear the blinds. You know, they need to make sure that Val isn't in the Um, blinds. At that point, they weren't sure whether he was a suspect, a victim, or both. Um, He had a concealed carry license, so they didn't know if he was armed. Um, They they really didn't know what they were going to find. After they cleared the blinds and did not find Val, they they actually took Crabtree back out on the lake and had him identify where he thought he threw Val out of the boat. Um, Which, you know, Crabtree knows that part of the lake really well, but he also, um, you know, he'd been having a, you know, it had been chaotic when he threw him out of the boat. The boat drifted a little uh, because he took his hands off the motor. And then the water also rose about a foot between when he he was off the lake and when he got back on again. Um, So authorities found Physical evidence that uh, was consistent with Crabtree's story—they
1: just didn't find Val that first day. I, you know what? When I when I was reading your article and I was thinking in my mind about those officers trying to clear not just that blind but all the other blinds in that area to make sure that Val wasn't in there. I, you know that because you know how well concealed those things are, and there's and obviously these blinds have kitchens and shooting right. holes and all that. that that had to be very nerve wracking to especially with them knowing that he had a concealed carry permit
0: yeah and there's 300 of them out there and he had a boat you know they didn't know he had abandoned a boat i don't know at this point but he could be in any of them
2: mm. yeah and that's what they said i spoke with um uh deputy wayne kelly who was one of the first um first officers out there and that's what he said he very intense and you've got um you know, again, it's still raining, so you can't right. even hear very well either. Um, they did, they did find Val's boat. The motor was still idling, and it drifted about five hundred yards away. And they also found his vehicle, um, so they knew that he was probably still around. Um, but yeah, like like you said, they did, didn't know where or how they would find him.
1: Hmm. So, Natalie, do you think that the way this story um, got? way social media played a role in the word getting out about the story, that had to fuel the rumors that got started and all the bad information that was out there.
2: Yeah, it, it absolutely did. Um, and on some level, you want the story to get out there because initially, TBI, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, was trying to find David Bell you know, there was a manhunt underway and it was important for people to know that something had happened, that he was potentially armed, like there just wasn't that much information. So, um, you do, and also being in media, right? Like the, it's a, it's an event that the public has the right to know about, but the way that it unfolded, um, was just, it it wasn't, it wasn't productive for investigators as best as I could tell. And it was also really difficult for the family. Um, you know, none of the four men involved had criminal backgrounds. David Val had no history of violence and his family found out what he allegedly had done, like the details of the shooting, um, for media accounts and on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very difficult for them to sit through, um, you know what Crabtree supposedly said happened versus all these rumors out there, and they, they were trying to make sense and understand things, and they just they were faced with all all kinds of stuff, and all the all the families were um, not just the Bell. Um, so it was it was very difficult for everybody on the ground in Tennessee to process what happened on top of all all of that social media rumor mongering.
1: So, Mr. Bill, when you were big in law enforcement, social media, it didn't really exist they then, didn't, did it? They didn't have social media when
3: I was in law enforcement. <laughs> no. That was quite some time ago. Uh, I've been retired federal 27 years and been retired from police work for somewhere around 13 years. So it just wasn't there. But uh, the rumors still got out, mostly word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And— uh, The only way you can dispel a rumor is by evidence. And in this particular case, I don't know whether this case was presented to the grand jury and the Grand Jury Secrecy Act came into play or whether they just have a law in Tennessee that they can't release investigative information, but uh, nobody still... You just don't know what the law enforcement agencies did, but with the ones involved t b i the Tennessee wildlife folks and everything else, you know they followed every lead and documented every piece of evidence that they could document and if they if they closed their case file pending something else may be coming up in the future, then they have made a proper decision based on the evidence they have
1: so natalie as we as we uh as I read your article and we we're discussing Avenue on as a podcast. I knew one thing I knew we wanted to be respectful to the families and I knew we wanted to be respectful to the communities cause they there's got to be a lot of hurt up there. And one of the, one of the young men, uh, I think chance black worked at final flight outfitters, which is a, which is a sporting goods store that sells a lot of Mossy Oak products. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, you know, when I look around the room, there's some young men here that are his age. And so, and we start, you know, the beginning of the, I don't know, right before Christmas, landing, there were some duck hunters in the Mississippi River, some young men that went missing. Yeah, drowned. I mean, it's, it's it seems, it's, boy, it's just tough to hear well, that. It's, kind of I stuff. mean,
0: look, there's an inherent risk in doing what we do, running through deep water and waders and, you know, everything else. Uh, but you never, it never comes to this kind of level. No. You know, the, I was telling my son the other day, I'm like, I've taught you how to swim. Now you got to wear a life jacket, you know. Yeah. So you got to take the salt, uh, the proper. You just got to be smart, especially navigating through waterways. You know, in, in the dark, in the storms. I've done it my whole life, and there's a risk factor going it. But this kind of risk fast factor never comes into your psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it's amazing to me that they were welcoming to him. To, uh, you know, I, from what I took in the article like, hey, can I hunt with you? And They're like, yeah. yeah I, think- I would expect them to say. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would have. Uh, no, nah, I didn't say I would have. I've been told, you know. But so it, it's just it's it's just unlike any uh outdoor tragedy. we we run into outdoor tragedies all the time. I think about the folks I've met throughout the years that have died outside. I mean, you know, we lose folks at the waterway, we lose folks in, in water in and the Hatchie in the coast all the time. But this one is is gonna be around for a really long time because of the uh the different um, you know, scenario and, and nuances involved in it. It's it's uh
1: Natalie, what, what else do you know that you that you that we need to we need to get the, that you need to tell?
0: Yeah, I, I think she I, now I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but then can you tell us, you know, eventually he was found uh, and kind of what you know about. Uh, I think we kind of ended up that they couldn't find him, but there was physical evidence that um, that uh, validated what Crabtree was saying at the scene of the crime.
2: Sure. Um, yeah. So they didn't they didn't find him that day and they did search, um, you know, for most of that week they had, they did have continued weather issues that hindered the search, but, um, a pair of duck hunters actually found David Val's body. Um, that would have been the Saturday after the shooting. So five days later, Hmm. um, and that, that was, I mean, for many reasons that was important. Um, but that, that was further evidence that verified what Crabtree said, um, he didn't have any gunshot wounds. He appeared to have died from hypothermia and drowning, and um, you know that that cemented uh, for law enforcement, you know, sent another really big piece of the puzzle that Crabtree was to them. It appeared he was telling the truth. So I, I guess the investigators, you know, they interviewed they interviewed hunters who hunted with Crabtree. They interviewed a bunch of hunters who normally hunted with David Val and the big. Mystery around this whole thing is, you know, to your question of like, um, like how does how does this kind of thing happen? Um, they don't have a motive. Um, Their best guess for why something like this would have happened um, is based on a series of conversations that Val had with his friends and family in the days leading up to the shooting, and and essentially, he David Val thought he had dementia. Um, And his friends and family didn't think that he did. Uh, He was supposed to go to a doctor's appointment the afternoon of the shooting. Hmm. Um, He did have a diagnosis of depression and he had recently been put on an antidepressant, um, but he didn't have a diagnosis of dementia. Um, So law enforcement um, appears to have concluded that he, he had some kind of episode. um, And that that's sort of where where they've left it. They haven't found any evidence, as far as I know, that contradicted any of those conclusions.
1: Mm-hmm. So, wh- wh- what are your thoughts, Mister Bell?
3: I don't know. Uh, complicated situation there without without looking at the actual evidence that the different law enforcement agencies working as a joint team gathered. It's hard to say. Uh, you know if. If he was had some kind of depressive mode that day and he went to his by his duck blind and might not have recognized it and might have come up on the other duck blind and thought somebody was trespassing on that on his duck blind and they got
1: into an argument, but the facts don't support that either. So
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the so, facts
1: that we know. Natalie, wasn't there some information about the 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 blind that mr uh, that David Val was thought to have visited that morning that there was a propane tank that was left on perhaps
2: yeah that's correct um, he initially um, what Crabtree said um, you know before somebody approached their blind in a boat was that he saw a boat um, go to David Val's normal blind um, you know he couldn't see far enough to tell who it was but investigators believe Val went to his blind and was there for, you know, an hour, hour and a half. The timeline's not exactly clear Um, before coming over to Crabtree's blind. Um, Crabtree says, you know, he never heard any shots. He never saw the mojo decoys turn on. Um, But when law enforcement went back out onto the lake, um, they discovered that a propane tank had been turned on inside the blind and there were some paper towels on the griddle in the kitchen that had been charged. It looked like they'd caught on fire. Um, investigators don't really know what to make of that. Um, different people that I spoke with had different theories about that. Um, but law enforcement doesn't, you know, they don't have a conclusion that they were willing to speak to.
1: Yeah.
2: But investigators found valves. Shotgun, uh which was an auto loader on the floor of the blind where crabtree said he threw it and there was um there was a shell caught in the action um you know and that's why crabtree presumes he wasn't shot the first time that he tried to disarm Bell. Oh, wow. um so so that you know may have saved his life um they found you know david val's glasses in in the boat that crabtree drove back to the um to the boat launch, they found you know that shotgun, the second shotgun, in the boat. You know, little things like that, um, as well as it's autopsy evidence um, in all three instances corroborated what what Crabtree said. Um, so, Mr. Bell, to your point about the evidence, that's what I I've, I've heard about, but I'm sure there's more that they just didn't share.
1: So, when you traveled to uh, this part of Tennessee, did you get to meet uh, Mr. Crabtree?
2: I did. Um, he was, he was the first person that, that I met. Um, I got, I actually got an invite to join him at his house for breakfast. Um, so that would have been, um, just a, a little less than two weeks after the incident. Um, so I, that was the Thursday before and I just got in a truck and drove to Tennessee, um, and had breakfast with him and some of his buddies the next morning.
1: How um, are, and I actually, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, how is, how is he holding up?
2: Um, he, he seems, he, he seems, I don't want to say good, but he seems strong considering what happened, but he's also very clearly affected. Um, you know, I spoke with the sheriff of Lubayan County who, who saw Crabtree almost immediately after it happened. And, um, he said he was pretty shaken up. Um, you know, and I, I interviewed Crabtree, who must have talked at least four times, maybe more, you know, going over details of the stories. I was trying to fact check it and make sure I had everything right. Um, and it's something that he's just, he's still dealing with constantly. He thinks about it all the time. Um, you know, he says even if he's doing something like turkey hunting, it, it just doesn't go away. It's always there.
0: I bet not. Um, I bet
1: not. I just can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really cannot imagine. The, I mean, a lot of people probably would never hunt again.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the joys of of doing that is like going there and running out on the water and seeing the sunrise and all those emotions about all the good hunts you've had over the years coming to you and then to have that experience and be like, boy, that put a shadow on everything, Mm -hmm. that's for sure. Well, I for one believe Mr. Crabtree, you know. I'm not an investigator whatsoever, but, you know, it just sounds like his actions uh, um, were one of... uh, of wanting to preserve life, not, you know, it just seems like the, the right guy to me.
1: Mm. Pretty clear-headed, too. Yeah, yeah,
0: really clear-headed to be able to be, be one to survive. I agree.
1: So when I think about this story and uh, the rumors that surrounded it, and and because I can clearly remember us talking about it in yeah. the hall. and, and I remember and, us
0: talking about, oh, I wonder wh- who did what? Yeah, yeah. Well, what we mean? jumped
1: to a lot of conclusions. Yeah, I, I, I hope, my hope from this is, is that there are some young people that are listening that when they, you know, the the whole hunting on public land thing is so popular Which now and like everybody kind of gets in everybody's space from time to time. I, I just hope that even though this doesn't appear that this was a situation, but it'll just make people think about, you know, yelling something at somebody else or caught being causing a situation that could escalate out of control really quickly. Right, And
0: you don't ever know, especially with strangers, you know, where they are in their head. You know? that, that's so. exactly right. Uh, and and I'm not you know not to, you know he he obviously had some things going on you know he really did so.
1: it, more than we can understand more than I understand, yeah, understand yeah. for sure yeah that, that's right so Natalie uh, I t- I told you Mac was in here Mac Thatcher he's raised his hand evidently he's got a question he'd like to ask you I have no idea where this will go but it'll probably be a good question. Hey, Natalie, Uh, I was just one thing that kind of jumped out to me was what kind of uh, shotgun shells were found at the scene? Uh, Were they duck loads or were they, you know, another kind of shot?
2: That's a really good question. Um, I was not able to get specifics on that. Um, I I know that they were 12 gauge shells. Um, I don't I couldn't tell you what type of load. Um, that, that was something that was more information that TBI, um, kept close to the chest and they're not, they don't share details of investigations with the public. Um, there's, there's fewer restrictions on like the the local sheriff's department, but I don't know. I'm sure somebody does though. So. Mm.
0: I know where and, you were going with Mac. I don't know where you were going with that too. They were
3: all seasoned investigators, so right. you know they followed every lead you know right. they got forensic evidence, shotgun shells, loads, type of shot, be it bismuth steel, mm. copper plated whatever right, mm-hmm. and compared it back to the shotguns used in commission of the crime mm-hmm. so and you know they don't release that information, so you but you know that they
0: have it, oh absolutely, yeah. And then he would, the second shot was actually from a gun that was used to kill triple ducks. So you, you got to yeah. assume it had, you know, probably high brass duck shells in it. But at point blank range, you know, not a whole lot of, not difference. a whole lot you can do, you know. Yeah. Brilliant.
1: Well, I think where Mac may have been going was this: if it had some other loads, that then maybe it was premeditated. Yeah, or yeah, something. I know where he's going there. sure. Uh, so, Natalie, let me ask you this: so I know that there's got to be families hurting up their communities. I mean, they, these are young men and, and and older men, and that probably that had wives and children and sons and just yep. all of the above. But is there some kind of place that we could make a a, a small donation to help mm-hmm. these families? Is there? Do you know of anything that's been established?
2: Um, Yeah, they're actually, I believe it's still going. There's a GoFundMe that emerged the, you know, shortly after the shootings um, to go to the families of Chance black and back groom. Um, And that was one part, you know, we talked about all the rumors and the the stress that caused families, but there also was this outpouring of local support for everybody who was affected in nationally, um, like, all the families heard from people all over the country. And you had random duck hunters donating to that Go- GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't know the people who were affected, but they were personally affected because it was part of the waterfowl community. percent. Sure, um, so that, yeah. That, that was something um, encouraging um, and in a really tough story um, that, you know, I think the, that it's encouraging about the waterfowl community. So, Yes, that GoFundMe, I think, is still up there. Um, there there might be a couple of links that are not legitimate, but there is one main one. Um, so, folks interested could probably find that.
0: Okay. Cool. We'll get Mac Mac to run that down, put it in the description of the podcast and everything for people to get to. Yeah. So, Lanny, do you have any more questions for Natalie? No, I appreciate you, you know, spending some time with us and helping us understand uh, a little more uh, about the situation and your your personal experience talking to the people that are involved because it is a is not only as tragic but it's uh you know there's there's something to be learned from everything uh, I like to think so I appreciate you helping us understand uh, a little bit more of your perspective and Mister Crabtree's perspective.
1: Mister Bill, have you
3: got? Yeah. Go ahead. I don't, I don't really have anything. Landy pretty well covered it.
0: Whoops. Yeah. Sorry, Mr. Bill. Bobby does that to me all the time. I'm, I'm sorry.
1: sorry. Uh, Mac, have you got anything? I'm all right. Well, Natalie, we really appreciate you being on. We're, as I stated earlier, we're big fans of outdoor life. Absolutely. And- and, uh, and I encourage everybody to go to OutdoorLife.com and read her article. It's very well done. And, uh, you know, it, it's not surprising that hunters and duck hunters have come to, uh, have, have participated in this GoFundMe. No, outdoor some,
0: people are a great community.
1: They, they really are. They are. And they're going to rally behind something like Absolutely. this. Absolutely. And, and everybody's shocked, but, it, but uh, boy, every, everybody will do the right thing, that's for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, Natalie, is there anything else you wanted to add or, or anything you need to promote?
2: No, I would just, I would really encourage folks to go to outdoorlife.com slash realfoot to read the story. Um, just so you can hear it firsthand from Crabtree and, um, you know, I spoke to David Zowell's wife and, and other folks, um, family of Chance Black and Zach Grooms and they, they can say everything better than I can. Um, so yeah, I would just go check that out. And yeah, thanks, thanks for having me guys and, and for talking about this. It's, a, it's an important issue.
0: Yeah. It needs to be talked about for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, Natalie, we appreciate you being on. Thank you. Thank you. For,
0: thank you for being yeah. here. Yes, ma'am. How we doing? You too.
1: Wow. Well, I tell you what, that is a that's a heavy story.
0: Yeah, heavy story. And you know, God, you remember those days of uh, um, Prozac and you know folks going crazy on that shit. When somebody talks about somebody. Forgetting stuff and they get put on antidepressants. This cares the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I, I, mean, I don't know if you're on them or not. <laughs> you know,
1: turkey season depressed me enough. I, know, I, was I, th- I, was th- I was thinking about getting them on
0: for a while. If Mac uh-huh. hadn't brought that last turkey in and let me touch him, then I probably would have had to. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, that's what made me depressed, yeah. was Mac. <laughs> I, I just, for the life of me, can't imagine what those men went through no. in that scenario.
0: No, let, and, let and you feel, I, I, you know, I feel for the Crabtree fella, you know, because it was almost like he was working so hard to to save his friend's life and do what he could and, and heck, not even kill the other guy mm-hmm. uh, and get him there. And then, you know, it's got to feel awkward them starting to get the microscope out on him uh, and having to defend itself. Because I know that's some of the things that we even said around here. I, you know, it was like, oh, I wonder if the other guy really did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, uh, hopey.
1: Well, Bill, uh, Bill Gibson, you have sitting. There. I appreciate you being here. Was anything you want to add to this? I think I pretty well said what I had
3: to say, and, yeah. and that is that uh, I think law enforcement reached a proper decision based on the evidence that they have. They're all seasoned investigators. They're very good investigators, I'm sure. So I'm, I'm gonna have to accept what they say.
1: So it's been it a fact, yeah, and that, that's, I, that's why I wanted you in here. I just, you would have a good, unique perspective. You have always impressed me with your, with his law enforcement skills. He certainly strung He's up. he all kinds of skills. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he had not write a bad check around here. <laughs> Mr. Bill's going after you. He got that back <laughs> out. Yeah, he sure did. And how long has it been since so, when you started in law enforcement?
3: Ah, uh, I've been retired twenty-seven years from the Feds. Did you? Did you work with Sherlock Holmes? Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a little bit before my time. <laughs> However, I did stay in a house in England that was built in sixteen sixty-six. There
1: you go. So. <laughs> There we go. Well, Maybe something to it. Yeah. Well, good. Well, we appreciate you being in here today. So Always. Guys, so, I, you know, I guess we'll just wrap this one up and get on out of here. And uh, But I've enjoyed listening to this story. And yeah, and
0: we'll track down that GoFundMe link because we didn't do what we can with these families. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, wrap, wrap, wrap our arms around them and, uh, you know, do what we can for them. So. Yeah, that's right.
1: So, uh, everybody, we, we appreciate you listening, and we'll have another podcast next week. So, we'll get on out of here. So, uh, why don't you say goodbye, Mac?